I'm Chris Johnson. Thanks for joining us for this special series on human trafficking here on Charisma Connection. And be sure to check out the other episodes in this series at cpnshows.com. Domestic sex trafficking is being called the human rights crisis of our times. This insatiable and unrestrained trade takes a child of God and turns that person into a product, destroying them physically, mentally, spiritually. Can you even imagine the level of abuse and isolation of victim experiences? The Samaritan women can. They have been serving victims of sexual exploitation for over 12 years and are joining us at Charisma to share their experiences and call the faithful to rise up against this evil. We have to address the demand and prevent further victimization. We also have to stand in the gap for those who have already suffered horrific abuse. The Spirit has moved the Samaritan women to raise up qualified shelters across the nation. So when that one child, that one woman, is able to leave, there's a qualified Christian program ready to receive them. Please join us in this important series and prayerfully consider lending your support. To learn more, visit sheltercareusa.org. This is Charisma Connection. I'm Chris Johnson. And today we continue our series with the Samaritan women on the topic of human trafficking. Now, I have to say that some of the topics we've covered in this series can kind of tug on your emotions. Some of our discussions may be tough to listen to as we learn about some of these women who've been trafficked. But, you know, I was thinking about Jesus, and he didn't stay on the fringes of society. He got right in there. He talked to people who were hurting and needed what he had to offer. And we have a guest today who's done the same thing. She has worked with people suffering from addictions and youth who were homicidal and suicidal, and now as education director at the Samaritan Women in Baltimore, Maryland, she's helping women find their voice and heal from their wounds. And we'll talk with my guest, Julie Haltom, after this important message. Julie Haltom, we welcome you to Charisma Connection. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. And I want to remind people that the Samaritan Women Organization has a long-term restorative care program, and it serves trafficking victims from across the country, even though you're based right there in Baltimore. Uh, Julie, when did you start working with TSW, as you call it? Yeah, TSW. Yeah, so I um, was able to start working here around... 2015. So I've been here for five years and I started out as an overnight supervisor in the house, Mm -hmm. uh, just getting to know the ladies. And then um, now I find myself here as the director of education, able to, you know, contribute to the care that's being provided. So you've been there for like five years now. Yep. Mm -hmm. And what makes you want to do this kind of work? Uh, well, I could say the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's always a good that. answer. <laughs> That's always a good answer, right? Um, in high school, uh, college age, I um, had gone to a conference, one of the teen conferences, Christian conferences put on, and they had shown a video about um, an organization that was doing this type of work, and um, it just pierced my heart. Uh, to the core, just looking at these ladies and these women who, you know, in some degree seem like they had um, 
nothing, you know, going for them and who had been through such extensive trauma and the resiliency that they were finding, the hope they were finding and restoration they were finding through programs like this. Um, and I remember saying like, that is one of the goals I would love. I would love to be able not just to work at an organization, but to be part of leadership of an organization. And God fulfilled that you know, dream for me. And here I am um, not only able to be a part of that work, but as director of education, be able to produce the same type of material that tugged at my heart. Um, I can now produce for others and get the, get the word out there that could maybe even lead them to wanting to do something and make a difference. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like God planted this in your heart a long time ago and it's just Mm -hmm. unfolding for you. Yep. Absolutely. Well, as director of education, you no doubt can speak to the factors in larger society that contribute to this whole booming industry of human trafficking or sex trafficking. What are some of those factors? Yeah, so there's a multitude that we could discuss, but there's been some that have just been evidenced not only by research, but also by the time that we've had with our women and their stories. Uh, And so that's what brings such confidence for me in in letting these things be known is because um, not only is research showing it, but so are these women and Mm. their stories that they're sharing. Got some anecdotal evidence, right? Anecdotal evidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And so our whole goal is to be able to provide this, you know, factual, up-to-date, meaningful and relevant information. Information that can hopefully empower, you know, people that God might be stirring and leading to this work. And what we've been able to find, some of these societal factors are a lot of our media and social messaging, um, which we know is inundated with sexuality. Um, but a lot of what we're seeing through media and, and the social messaging throughout that is so sexualized in nature. If you look throughout different um, TV shows, advertisements, um, you look and see children's clothing um, that's more adult form. Um, and so we're creating um, clothing for our children that's adult in nature. We're um, glamorizing pimping uh, through our movies. We're glamorizing a lot of the um, sexualization and degradation of women through some of the media outlets that we'll see, magazines and advertising, music, um, that that you'll hear and listen to. You and know, I, like, I actually heard a, a pastor on Sunday use the word uh, pimp uh, when he was talking about pimping his pimping out his car or something like that exactly. uh, as he was growing up. And that just shows you that, you know, this is, you know, right in our language already without yes. even thinking about it. it. That is a perfect example of just how it's become a part of culture. Uh, to where we can pimp out our ride, we can pimp out our our room, our house, right? And it's just become this term that's socially accept- acceptable. But when you actually look at what we're saying, um, it's very degrading and it's very, it, the connotation of it is very negative. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a perfect example of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so not only with the media, um, but along with that access, Technology is such a gift in so many ways, and then there's so much destruction that can come of it if we're not careful. And one of those is the access and promotion of porn and pornographic images. 
Um, and it just shows that um, the the access that's available and what's being what children are being exposed to. Um, a recent poll showed that 13% of teenage girls admitted to allowing themselves to be choked out during a sexual encounter with somebody, like they allowed it, based on what they had just seen or what was expected now. Um, and so it was, there's this confusion happening um, with our youth on the role of sex in a relationship or even an encounter. Um, boundaries that are allowed and acceptable to be set um, are being confused. And the end result leads to these naive assumptions that can place individuals in really compromising and dangerous or even exploitive situations. And so porn is a, a huge issue, which we, I know we'll get to talk about later on, but that's one of the societal factor, factors that's playing a huge role in actually then leading people to this vulnerable place that then leads them to exploitation even further. And and I understand on the college scene, it's just like a hookup culture too. Yep, yep. Yeah, this casual, you know, uh, casual approach to sexuality and sex and um, exploration that actually um, can lead to really dangerous and exploitive situations. Mm-hmm. Well, digging a little deeper, what, what kind of social messages are inundating children and teens that actually connect to sex trafficking? So, again, these messages, yeah, absolutely, that are being conveyed. The main connecting point, I think, with all of it is that the current average age of entry into commercial sex exploitation is 11 to 13 years old. Mm. So if you let that sink in a minute, we have 11 to 13-year-olds. That is the average age that they are entering into commercial exploitation. The reality then isn't that this is a women's rights to sex work, you know, what we're hearing kind of fly around society, um, women's choice about sexuality. No, what we have is a problem of our children that are entering this and then becoming women that have been, you know, involved in sexual exploitation. But the reality is it's our children um, that lack the protection because of these factors that are playing out in society and in culture. Um, so that's one of the, so that when we talk about this, really what we're talking about is the protection ultimately of our children yes. to them be able to deter them from, you know, sexual exploitation. It's, it's not and just so, adults, it's the youngins. <laughs> it's the youngins. And that's awful to hear. And it's heart-wrenching to hear. Um, but that's the reality of what we're seeing is that these women, these men, they're starting out as children. And as a child, you know, your brain is still developing. You're still trying to figure out you know, right and wrong and choice and um, boundaries, all of that, your brain is still developing at such a rate. So um, then these children turn into men and women. And then that's where the conversation starts to play, take place on a larger societal level. But the reality is we're talking about children in, mm -hmm. the, in the grand scheme of things. Well, and what? so a lot of that, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, what really um, are the factors that make a child at risk for exploitation? So what we've come to find out based on 
you know, the research we've seen and, and these women's stories that we've been able to take note of is um, a lot of vulnerabilities that could happen within your, a childhood. So um, if you grow up in a household with domestic violence, um, you know, which currently we've seen 3.3 um, children or million children witnessed this in their home last year. You know, that's the latest statistic. So domestic mm-hmm. violence in a home. Um, because there's such instability, a lack of instability and consistency, which then makes a child not feel safe, not feel secure, and they're looking for that outside of the home. Single parent homes um, as well. Um, there's a, we're, currently, single parents are raising one in three children across the nation. So this is a large part of our population. Um, but again, a single parent home um, can sometimes bring additional stressors with it right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you're a single parent unexpectedly, um, financial stress then comes in. Uh, if there's a divorce that made that happen and occur, um, there's emotional stress involved. Um, job loss could happen from that. And so it could have this spiral effect to where um, even significant stress in a family um, can put on a child this feeling of responsibility or um, extreme vulnerability even of where do I find these things that I'm looking for because they're not available currently um, in my home? You know, where do I find this acceptance? Where do I find this safety, this security? And then the same even exasperated is the foster care system. So within the mm-hmm. foster care system, that's where we're seeing a plethora of children being exploited um, just due to runaways from that system abuse sometimes within that system, unfortunately. Um, But 50 to 60% have been found within the foster care system to have been sexually exploited. And so that's a huge representation of the children that are, you know, coming across this because of the extreme vulnerability, because of, you know, instability, um, lack of consistency, and they're trying to find these needs that haven't been able to be met through their childhood. 50 to so 60 are, percent is, is really huge. It's, it's massive. It's a, it's a huge issue. It's a huge systemic issue, you know, in society that um, if we really took a charge at, could be a game changer for some of these children mm-hmm. of really trying to address, okay, what is happening here? How can we step up and be, you know, an, a solution to this, this system that isn't working for these children, unfortunately, and we need to find a better way, find a way to support them in new and different ways. Um, you know, where are the gaps? You know, what's missing? Because that percentage is too large. It's too large. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. uh, Julie, can you give us an example of uh, a young person that you've encountered who uh, has come into a life of exploitation? Yeah, so, you know, this could look a lot of different ways. So the one example that I'd give you isn't everyone's story. Obviously, we know that everyone has a different story and comes from a different situation. But one of the ways would be, well, first, I want to just clarify, it's not the Hollywood version Mm -hmm. of what we think it's going to look like. Um, There is no, you know, dad coming to rescue you. 
um, from these strangers that have taken you captive. Um, while that could happen in life, that is not the reality that I've ever heard mm-hmm. from someone mm-hmm. who has been exploited. Um, and, I, and I don't think it's a fair example um, to put what, uh, when we need to actually be addressing the factors that are the reality for these women and men. Yes. And so an example I think would be, um, we'll just say a girl named Lisa. Um, she grew up with an abusive father, right? So he left when she was four. So then what are we seeing? A single parent home, uh, you know, that lack of instability, that lack of safety from the get-go. Um, her siblings and her mother then end up moving houses, it, it, even in the same area, but they move houses about 12 times mm. just because of mom's situation. She's trying to get a handle on things, finances. You know, Lisa doesn't know this as a child. She just knows they're moving all the time, and she's trying to make sense of that. And so mom has various boyfriends that come in and out of the home, um, again, increasing that instability, that lack of security. Uh then she's often sent to her uncle's house where who is supposed to be a safe haven for her uh, proceeds to molest her repeatedly for the next eight years. Um, and so that brings confusion. That brings a, a lack of safety that where she's supposed to be safe within her family. Uh, she loves her mother, but she really struggles to, you know, want to stay in that household because of the chaos that can kind of ensue And so it's difficult for her to even make connections with people now because she's moved so many times. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so making connections, like true connections with people to find that safety and security lacks for her. She doesn't have that skill now. And so she gets in with an older crowd around the age of 14. Um, This older crowd, you know, as doing drugs, introduces her to drugs early. She starts skipping school. she starts allowing herself to do whatever it takes to be accepted by this older crowd because she's finding some sense of acceptance there and belonging there that she hasn't felt before. By the age of 16, she meets an older guy who says he wants to help her get off these drugs, right? So he he sees that this is a detriment for her life and he wants to be a a helpful support to her. He wants to help her get off these drugs. He dotes on her. He buys her things. Um, He continuously dreams about their life together. And so he reels her in, reels her in on this dream that he's created for her. And then he tells her that he wants to help her get clean and get sober so they can have this life together. Um, But she needs to go down to Florida in order to, you know, get the help that she needs. She agrees. She gets off the bus in Florida. There's a man there that's not this boyfriend, says he's a friend of the boyfriend, and he's going to take her to where she needs to go. She trusts that this is the case, and this man actually does not take her there. He takes her to a motel where she is stuck in that room for the next various amounts of months um, and is forced and coerced into having sex with multiple men on multiple days um and he's what we'd call even a gorilla they call it a gorilla trafficker or pimp where they're very violent um they're very restrictive um use starvation methods whatever it takes to you know seemingly get this person to submit to what they need them to be doing in order to make 
their money. And so that's kind of her situation played out um, to the point of where she ends up in this exploitive situation that's horrific and awful. And she sits back not even realizing how she got there. And and it all starts with a divorce and abuse in the home. Yes, yes, exactly, Chris. It all starts. That's the biggest thing that we found is when you when you look at the wounding from these women, trafficking is not at all what they then express as their their seminal wounding. Their seminal wounding comes from when she was four years old and no one believed her when she was six years old and no one was around to help her. You know, and so the wounding actually comes from these childhood wounds that then through life, because they're not able to be addressed or find that need met, um, end up spiraling to find themselves in these situations instead looking for those needs to be met and being duped or being tricked, coerced or forced into situations that they would have never ever imagined themselves in. Well, it's really amazing to, you know, that you just walked us through this process of Lisa's life story and how it went down and down and down. That is what we've come to find. The the details can look very different. You know, um, someone who grows up in a in a household that's abusing drugs, um, you might often see families selling their children, unfortunately, for drugs. Um, because that's taken such a hold on their life. So that can look very different. But ultimately for that child, what it comes down to that then turns into a woman that's been exploited, it comes down to these choices, these situations in her life when she was a child that um, have wounded her so deeply um, that then play out later on in life um, because as a child she wasn't given these um, avenues you know, that some others have been given. So these vulnerabilities have kind of kept her captive, so to speak, um, and played out later in life. Well, even if uh, our listeners don't have children of their own, many have kids around them in their families, Uh their churches, their schools, even their neighborhoods. So what can a person do to help decrease these risk factors in kids' lives? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, there's so many avenues that anyone could do um, for any of the children that surround them in their community. Um, The number one thing I would say is if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're doing it, Mm. and that's to educate yourself um, from reliable, trustworthy sources to realize what human trafficking really is as a whole. Um, The fact that it's a business enterprise, at at its root stem, it's power and control. Sex is just what's used for the exploitation, but the reality of it is power and control. Mm -hmm. And I think that the enemy loves to use misinformation and loves to stir confusion. And that's what social media, certain news outlets are creating with unverified scare tactics and um, fearful articles being thrown about that have no bearing on what is actually true about human trafficking. And so I think what ends up happening is um, we need to combat these tactics with the truth because what we end up doing is we're looking over here, pulling our children close from the terrifying human trafficker that's going to snatch our child from Target, and that's not the reality 
of what human trafficking is. Human trafficking is a very um, thoughtful, methodical approach um, just as a business of power and control. And so the, the snatch and grab articles that you're seeing everywhere um, more often than not are not true and they're creating fear around something instead of education around something. And so I think the number one thing you could do is continue to educate yourself, recognize the vulnerabilities in these children, recognize when you see those playing out. Um, that can sometimes happen with how children carry themselves, uh, their willingness to take part in risky behavior, um, deeply looking for attention or affection or acceptance. Uh, the other thing that I think is crucial that anyone could play a part in doing, which doesn't seem to make a direct connection to a child, but it really does, is we have some retailers um, and stores that will sell or promote exploitation of children. Mm. And they're probably retailers and stores that everyone is using without even realizing that this is happening. Uh, one of those, unfortunately, is Amazon. Mm -hmm. If you were to go on Amazon, you could look up and you could find a sex doll of a 12-year-old girl um, available for sale. You could even go down to find a sex doll for an infant for sale. Oh, my. And so these retailers are promoting, you know, the sexualization of children, the exploitation of children. And so there are certain ways that we can combat that by, you know, writing these retailers, um, choosing certain ones to not, no longer, you know, buy their goods and services. Um, that's an excellent way that people can get educated on the subtle ways that this is sneaking into our everyday life um, without us even knowing that it's happening. And then I think the last one would be what we were talking about before, that 50 and 60% of foster care children, you know, in what way? Is there any way you could get involved with the foster care community that's local to you? You know, what if the church became the solution for foster care children in your area? Um, what if the church became the solution for supporting uh, single-parent homes in the area that are struggling and, and need some additional support to make sure that their children um, are adequately equipped, you know, and feel safe and secure in what they have going. Um, and so, and, and then in the same way, finding local agencies around you that are already choosing to be positive influences in children's lives. You know, at TSW, we wanna help any survivor anywhere um, in the nation to receive compassionate care. And that starts as children, you know? So any opportunity to help him or her when they're eight years old before the trafficking ever has to become a reality in their life, that's the goal, um, is to be able to not see them even have to get to where they need shelter care, you know? Absolutely, just being a positive influence in a child's life uh, can make all mm -hmm. the difference, apparently. Mm -hmm. Helping them feel accepted and a sense of belonging. Yep, every interaction matters. It makes a ripple effect that you might never see the result of. Mm-hmm. Well, Julie, uh, as we close, unfortunately our time has gotten away from us, uh, what would you like to say to our listeners from your heart and, and from 
the way God has led you to get involved in this ministry? I'd just like to encourage anyone out there, if this is an issue that tugs at your heart, that, that doesn't sit well with you, um, that doesn't settle, um, I know that it's one that can seem very overwhelming, uh, one that can seem too big to play a part in. I know I've felt that way. Um, and I'm here as the director of education at a, at a shelter program doing this work, and it still can feel overwhelming. Um, but I do believe that God has given us everything we need. He has equipped us um, for this work. Um, if it's something that stirs on your heart. And so if that's something that's happening, I'd encourage you not to ignore it, to take a step towards it. Um, I think the enemy wants us to see the issue as over there or, or too big or too little for, for me to make a difference. Um, but we aren't alone in this. Um, and if you're listening to this right now, then you're listening to an organization, you're listening to a person, an individual, to me, um, as someone that God has raised up to help equip people like you to enter this battle against darkness. Um, and so I, I genuinely um, would just ask that you wouldn't allow the enemy to use those fear tactics um, to discourage you. Um, if you're someone that you know you are a child of those vulnerabilities, you know, um, and then you didn't end up in that situation, God can use that. Um, that can be useful um, to helping solve this problem. You have a connecting point that others don't have. Um, if you know children that are, um, you know, going through this, um, there is some way, shape, or form that you can engage in this issue. Um, God is greater, and his love and his compassion is deeper than any societal message out there. Um, and so that would just be my prayer and my hope and um, my passion is that people can be informed and educated in the right way um, so that they can feel equipped to um, do something um, about the devastating effects of sexual exploitation that's happening in our country right now. Well, Julie, I think you're in the right role there as Director of Education. I've, I've learned a few things in this podcast, and I'm sure our listeners have too. Now, we want to give the website for uh, the Samaritan Women, and that's sheltercareusa.org. That will take you to the Samaritan Women's website. Thank you so much, Julie Haltom, for being with us today on Charisma Connection.